Hi there, welcome to an episode of an Inside View podcast in association with On The Ball Team Building. I'm your host, Jamie Finn. If this is your first time listening, please do go back to episode one and have a listen. If you haven't done so already, please do click subscribe. There is a business or sports person in each of us, and we hope that our guest stories will help our listeners to chase their dreams. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 56 of an Inside View podcast with On The Ball Team Building. Before we go any further, we'd like to give a big shout out to our sponsors GRG Sports and Vintry Harbour Asset Management for the continued support. We really appreciate it guys. This week, we're delighted to be joined by Irish Rugby 7s and LA Guillotini star Harry McNulty. He was born in Bahrain, educated at Rockwell College and a product amongst the rugby, McNulty sprung to rugby fame with the Irish Rugby 7 side. Harry is one of the originals left in this Irish Rugby 7 side that began competing in 2015 in the lower leagues of the European Rugby 7 circuit. Now they're competing in the pinnacle competition of the sport, the World Series. As this episode is going out, Harry is in Monaco, competing for the Irish Rugby 7s as they bid to claim a spot in the upcoming Olympics. Hi Harry, welcome to an interview podcast. How are you keeping? I'm fantastic. How are you doing? <laughs> good, good. Trying to make the, the the best of the bad weather down here in Kerry. Unfortunately, we don't get the nice sunshine as you would get in Dublin. I was just about to say it's been beautiful here in Dublin the last couple of days. So I'm sorry to hear that, but <laughs> there's no better place in the country than Kerry when the sun's shining. So oh, uh, I'm sure it'll come your way soon. Definitely. And look, on the day we're recording this, you got called back into the Irish Rugby Sevens. Was that always the plan to get back into the Sevens or was it just the way things happened? It's very much a way things happen. So obviously COVID, when that hit, um, would have been March last year. So around 15 months ago, roughly. That's when the last time we played a Sevens tournament um, on the World Series, it was in Vancouver. Things were starting to happen. People were like, what's going on? I ended up staying in Vancouver for a week, did like a little trip. And then I am making my way back home to Dublin and I'm literally in the airport and there's news going off that like the entire Western seaboard in America is closing down. There's borders shutting, all this kind of stuff. So I end up going back to Dublin and coming home to essentially um, the sevens schedule being uh, torn up in front of us. And rightly so. Um, and then I kind of had to start making some decisions. Like I was 27 at the time, going on 28, loving the sevens. It was our first year on the series. We didn't even get an opportunity to finish it all. But I was trying to do some sort of, uh, I don't know, like look into my magic eight ball, I guess you could say. Like I was just trying to make a plan for the future. And I was, I was just weighing up my options. And for people who don't know much about sevens, it's a completely international styled game. So every team that's involved in the tournament is a nation. So we were Ireland, we were playing France, Fiji, New Zealand, and every team that's involved is basically from every corner of the earth. So to have 16 teams to fly to one city and play in one stadium, it wasn't really adding up to me in terms of how feasible it was for the season to get back. And I kind of saw it as it's probably going to be one of the last sports to come back. Um, and then 
as time progressed, you saw that the likes of Australia and New Zealand who had shut down their borders, they were actually getting their rugby back and they were a, domest- a domestic tournament essentially was taking place. So that kind of caught my eye in the sense I was like, okay, domestic rugby is probably what's going to come back first. My brother was playing in the MLR at the time. There was a bit of an opportunity for me and my brother to play together. And um, because it's a domestic league, I was like, right, this is probably going to come back. It's America. They're, you know, a bit different in the way that they do things. They were probably going to be not lax, but they were going to make things happen. So I just thought like, right, look, I'll, I'll see if there's anything out there. uh, If there's an opportunity to play with my brother and if nothing comes back, nothing comes back, but like, let's see. So, the sevens thing was more of a case of I really want to try and qualify for the Olympics. I don't even know if the Olympics are going to go ahead. Personally, at 28, I can't just wait around until for 15 months, which is probably taken until now, to for it to maybe happen. Like, what happens if the Olympics doesn't go ahead? Like, we're not even qualified, and it's 15 months down the line. I've got no contract. I've got nowhere to go, metaphorically. Speaking, like I'm not going to pick up a contract in Munster or Leinster. Realistically, uh, I'll be left just 15 months, you know, behind. So, you know, looking at that, and I just said, let's give it a go. Ended up LA, wanted myself and my brother. It was an amazing opportunity, and one thing led to another. Where Olympics seems to be going ahead, the RFU contacted me. I put them in touch with the Giltinis, and they were able to come to some sort of agreement for me to come home. Um, I did mention, I did say like, look, I'm not going to be able to go back to Ireland if it's going to put my, um, my position in LA at risk. I wasn't willing to risk that, um, because I've only signed a one year and I'm planning on hopefully signing more. I'd like to stay out there for a while, really loving life out there. Um, but seems as though that they've come to some sort of agreement where that's not going to happen. I hope not anyway. Um, so long story short, it was always there, but it was never like, you know, I never had a plan being like, I'm going to sign a contract and all I'm going to do for the next however many months is figure out a way for me to get home. I basically was, I made uh, an agreement myself. It was like, this is a big boy decision and whatever you decide, you're going to have to live with the consequences of it. Um, you know, whether it's right or wrong, it's just, well, it wasn't even right or wrong. It's the decision I made. But um, as long as I'm happy to make that decision, then I'm happy to do um what's in front of me and you know what at the end of the day it's worked out to an extent so I'm very fortunate in that you know a lot of other people wouldn't have had that opportunity and um I'm very I got a lot of support from both sides which is fantastic it feels it feels great to have that support you know it's not that easy to get so long story short yeah yes I would have loved to be in this opportunity but it was never like the set in stone when I was coming over yeah and what's the lay of the land now going forward? You the I think there's a challenge tournament coming up soon, qualifiers, Olympics. Is that the Yep. So up? essentially, uh, you listen to this podcast, we've probably already played the games. It's Friday now. So we've got games Saturday and Sunday. We are playing against GB. Uh, they've already qualified for the world or for the Olympics, sorry. Um Ireland a few weeks ago actually went over to England over to Loughborough to play against GB in a couple of games as well. Um, so we're going to be basically playing like a full tournament, six games over the weekend, three tomorrow in a very typical sevens fashion game at 11.30, 2.40 and like 5.30, something like that. So quite sprawled out across the day, but that's 
pretty much exactly how you'd play a tournament anyway. And then on Sunday, pretty much same thing again. It's going to be great. So obviously playing a team that's already qualified for the Olympics. So amazing for us to have that opportunity and really put it out in front of us. But again, on the other side, we've got two Irish teams that are playing in this weekend. So it's an opportunity for guys to put their hand up. And this is basically going to be the basis on the selection for Monaco. And Monaco tournament is in two weeks. And that tournament is winner takes all, last chance saloon to get into the Olympics. So whoever wins that tournament is going to the Olympics and taking the last spot. So pressure's on. Um, but it's a fantastic opportunity. And in relation to the tournament in Monaco, um, how many teams are left in that or will be competing in that? Mm-hmm. So that is a 12-man tournament. And all the teams that are based in that are basically all the teams that would have come second and third in their regional qualifier for the Olympics. So the way it works is... So here, bear with me here now. Yeah. So pre- the year previous to the Olympics, the top four in the World Series automatically qualify. So they go. So it's like Fiji, USA, actually, um, New Zealand, and South Africa. They qualified automatically. So then what happens is everybody goes back after the season to their region. And then they are put into a regional tournament. So... We would have played in a tournament with England who were representing GB. And that's a bit uh, weird because they compete as GB in the Olympics. France, ourselves. um, Then there would have been other teams like Germany and Spain. And the winner of that European tournament would take the European space in the Olympics. So England won. But then they compete as GB. So actually, team Scotland and Wales have joined and they've created their own camp and giving all three nations a shot. So that's nuts in itself. But then the likes of, uh, yeah, crazy, right? So then underneath that, like you would have North America would have a tournament. So USA already qualified. So you had Canada, but Canada played like Jamaica, Mexico, and all these teams because they're from that region. South America, Argentina would have played Brazil. Uruguay, Chile, and so on and so forth. The tournament we're playing in are all the teams that would have come second and third in those tournaments. So we came third, uh, France came second, so we're both going there from Europe. Then you've got uh, Zimbabwe, Tonga, Samoa, Chile, uh, Hong Kong, and a couple of the teams I can't remember off the top of my head. So essentially that's the accumulation and it's it's like the world repechage, so all the teams from around the world to play and try and win. And it goes into straight semifinals and then a final. So uh, you play your pool games and then go into semi and final. Yeah. And is it three games on one day and three games on the other day as well in that structure? Oh, the, the schedule came out, yeah. That's how it's going to be. But it's slightly different because usually it's pools of four. But this is two pools of six, is it? I think because it's twelve. It's it's like slightly different. You've got to play like an extra game in the morning of, and then play, go because there's no quarters. It, it takes out a game, so you have one extra pool game kind of thing, which you play on the morning of the second day. But then the semi and the final will take place on that day. 
So it's a little bit skewed, a little bit different, but essentially, yeah, yeah, that's how it's going to work out. And I was actually going to ask you this later on, but it seems we're on the topic. You, know, you you have the World Series, and then can you just explain in like what the London Seven Series and the Dubai Series and all that are they all part of the World Series or are they different competitions? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So the World Series is essentially just the name of the entire competition, <clears throat> but Dubai. So it's actually the Dubai World Series. It's the London Series. So those are all the tournaments that take place. And the way that it works is you play two tournaments at a time, which are technically regionally based. So you're not flying to one part of the world and then flying to the opposite side of the world to play tournaments. Now that has happened in the past, but they've got it to a stage now where it's relatively close. So the first two tournaments are always Dubai and then Cape Town. And then, so you play one week in Dubai or, or the Saturday, Sunday, let's say. Then on the Monday, you'll fly to Cape Town, train during the week and do Saturday, Sunday in Cape Town. And then you fly home. Usually there's about a month of a, of a separation between those tournaments. And what they call them is legs. So you play two legs at a time. So then after that, you go to Sydney and uh, New Zealand. And then you'd come back and so on and so forth. So there's 10 altogether. Um, so there's like technically like five legs that you would go on and you build up points based on where you finish in each tournament. So um, if you basically win a tournament, you get the full amount of points and then you go into the next week. And if you come 10th, then, you know, you only get um, a certain, like a small amount of points and those add up across the entire uh, world series. So there's a winner technically of every location. There's a winner of Dubai. There's a winner of Cape Town. There's a second of, you know, a second in Sydney and second in uh, in New Zealand. But then at the end of the entirety of the tournament, or of the tournaments, you have a World Series winner and a second place and a third place. So that's what gets those top four automatically into the Olympics is those ones. Oh, and that feeds into what we were talking about in a couple of minutes ago. Um, and then you have the World Cup. Is that kind of the same as the World Series? Is it? Yep. So the World Cup is kind of has it any normal, well, not any normal rugby World Cup, but same thing. The World Cup is every four years and same criteria to the Olympics-ish. It's not just four teams that'll qualify. Um, the World Cup actually has way more teams involved. So they take, I think it's the top 10, but there's actually, there's actually about 20 teams that took place in the last World Cup, as far as I can remember. But they, they, the tournament was completely different, and the way that it bracketed out was completely different. It was eight, sixteen, tw- it was twenty-four teams. So basically, what happened was, if you were in the top ten, you automatically were put into a pool, and that pool didn't play in the first set of games. And the, all the teams in the first set of games were the outside teams that qualified through their regions again. They played each other. Whoever won that went over to that pool to play the top ten. Whoever lost went into its own pool, like a bowl cup, um, and into the bowl, and they played each other. And then when you when you were in this one with the teams from the top 10, you played them. Whoever won those went into the highest-ranking tournament, which would be like the cup, and the guys who lost would go into their own tournament, and that would be the plate. So you would have a cup, a plate, and a bowl, and you played that, but essentially, yeah, you would you get your ranking through the year based on your ranking. You were put into a certain, you either qualified or you didn't. If you didn't qualify, you went to your region and you qualified to your region. So we qualified to the region. Yeah. So every game 
effectively is very important, you know, because you need to build up points and all that. Would I be right in saying that? Yeah, completely. Like um, the way that it is, you know, even in the World Series tournaments, if you don't make it out of your, uh, if you don't make it out of the pool, is what they say. So going into the main main uh, competition, you end up going into the lower division, and like there's only a certain amount of points you can get in that, and it's not a lot. So you know, if if every week you're not getting out of it, it's a real struggle to really progress. But all the teams are so good and so close that it's it's tough to get out of there but if you get out um the opportunity to gain points like if you get out of the pool and you lose all your games you still make more points than a team that would have l- not made it out say the pool gone into the lower division and had to win all their games right they're fighting tooth and nail to get the max amount of points possible that they can get out of their pool yet you would have gone into the higher competition, lost all your games, and you would get more points than them. So the advantage of just getting out of the pool itself, like teams that just get out of the pool, it's saved them at the end of the season from being relegated off the World Series. Jeez. Things like that. So it's fighting tooth and nail every game. Every game counts. It adds up so quickly. And you, you, you can really fall back pretty quick as well. Uh, and I'll, I'll delve into... We need qualified for the World Series there later on the podcast, but um, I might as well move on to the next topic. Uh, like I usually ask guests this, and I might as well just keep it for continuity. But how has the past couple of the, the last fourteen months been for you? You know, especially since COVID hit. Usually the answer here is spent most of the time locked up, didn't get much done. It was difficult, but you had a quite entertaining time. Robbie tens LA. Grew a mullet. Don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean that. Not to say that's half of it, but that's you know that that's the main points. Like, uh, it's it was interesting. Uh, again, I had to make that big boy decision. As soon as I made that big boy decision, um, I'm you know prone to a bit of travel. Let's say so. I, I I like to try and get away, and obviously a pandemic is not the best time to do it. But um, I left the program in August last year. I just, uh, you know, decided that I was going to go to the MLR uh, and I left. And on, upon doing so, I decided that I needed to try and get somewhere. Um, so what I did was I looked at everywhere in Europe that had a green list because they brought out the traffic light system at the time. At the time, Norway had a green list. So it was fine for Ireland to go to Norway and it was also fine for Norway to come to Ireland. They were both green. Um, so I have a good friend who lives there and they were actually doing a bit of travel through Norway for work. Like they were literally being sent to hotels to make sure that the hotels were up to scratch for the hospitality business that they were working for. So like they were getting hotels for free. They had a car for free. Norway's bloody expensive. So I literally booked a flight and like headed. And as soon as I got home, like I was in a place called Lofoten and there was nobody about. So it's not like I was going to nightclubs and all that kind of crack. It was going up a mountain with my friend and that was it and it's the only person I saw all day uh, but as soon as I got home a sailor on a, some sort of tankard pulled up into Norway and they all got off it and they only tested him when they got off it but like I think it was maybe 12 or 14 or 24 hours later ended up having six crew members positive and oh. they had an outburst of uh, COVID 
and then from that moment there was a huge outburst and um they ended up closing norway for a while that went on the red list ireland went on the red list um so i got my, a little bit of my travel in and it was all safe thank thank god and i got tested pre and post and all that kind of stuff as well and isolated when i got home but um i got that in but then yeah like bermuda was a blessing uh, had never been there before. I got contacted from an ex sevens rugby player who I actually never played against, but I had had met a good few times called Frankie Horan. Um, he was co- the coach of the this team called the SX Tens, and there was this tournament that was coming up. Another friend of mine who played for England sevens, Matt Turner. Uh, he's also like South African heritage. He was calling me, seeing if I would be available to do it, and talking to the two guys next thing you know like i'm flying out to bermuda my brother's coming out uh, got put on a really amazing squad with players that i had looked up to on tv over the years playing sevens as well as i had the opportunity to play against so really cool to get to play with them um that was a trip and a half in itself because one of our players tested positive for covid while we were there um we are all under the suspicion that it was a false positive just due to the fact that no one else tested for a positive for it again. We shared the same facilities. We trained together, but the Bermudan government refused to test again. They just said, look, we've got gold standard testing. He's positive because we say he's positive. So the poor guy had to sit in his room for 14 days, couldn't leave. We couldn't leave our hotel grounds. So we were allowed to leave at least the the room um, we had to dine in a separate hall but you know there was a still two beaches on the on the grounds it was like 30 acres or something like that so there was a small patch of grass I guess what you could call it but we called it the coconut patch um, there was a couple of palm trees around it well, that's where we did our training it was literally 15 meters by 30 meters so nowhere near big enough for a rugby field but, you know, we got stuck in. We kept doing our fitness. We kept training, did all that. And then we didn't get to play in about two-thirds of the tournament. We missed pretty much all of it. But we got back for the final weekend. There was three weekends of, a, of tournaments. So got in there. We ended up winning our weekend of tournaments. So some of the teams might have complained that we were a little fresher than the rest of them. But, look, we got to play in the end. And um, we had a lot of fun. And, yeah, like, went home. Never thought I'd go to Bermuda again. Um, well, maybe the following year if the tens was on, or there's a there's a lot of of uh, the um, like the Golden Oldie X invitation or X international tournaments that take place out there. So maybe I might have got on one of those in a few years. Next thing you know, I'm sorting out visas for America. My brother, in fairness to him, was studying how to get to America because the flight ban. Bermuda pops up. That's oh, uh, oh my yeah. god, <laughs> I know. Oh my god, so you know, we were trying to explain to our manager in LA that, uh, unlike Australia, which was basically living a normal lifestyle due to them locking the borders, Ireland and Europe was not doing that, and we actually had a flight ban, so we couldn't get into the States. Um, so we had to explain that to him and then we had to explain and ask that he had to pay for our trip because it was out of our control essentially um, that we had to do two weeks outside of Europe 
Now we looked in Dubai. We looked, we looked in places in Europe because there was one or two like Croatia um, around that time, which was allowing for people to fly to the States. Um, you know, we well, then we looked at Bermuda, but essentially there was two parts to it. There was one, we had to be out of Europe for 14 days. So it didn't matter where we could have flown anywhere. That wasn't Europe, essentially. The other one was we had to find an embassy that was open, that would accept non-residents. So prior to COVID, you could go to any US embassy in the world and you didn't have to be a resident. Fine. Now, resident, uh, uh, embassies were only taking residents to try and limit COVID. And the one in Dublin, which I live three kilometers away from, was fully closed because we were in level five lockdown. So I couldn't go there. They were doing zero visa processing. So I couldn't go there. And the only place in the world was Bermuda that was allowing it to happen. It was the only place in the world. So we ended up going back there for two weeks. Two weeks apostrophes because uh, I ended up being there for seven. Oh, my God. How do you swing yeah. that? No, I didn't swing it. It was uh, There was a mess up in the paperwork along the way. We're not 100% sure what happened, but essentially... I was uh, asked for more information in terms of my visa application, which is a completely standard process, happens to a lot of people. And that process from when you resubmit your in new information or extra information is a three-week maximum process. So you should hear back from the embassy whether or not that information was suffice uh, sufficient even in three weeks. So... I was told I could hear back in five days, 10 days, whatever. Anyway, we get to three weeks. Um, two of those weeks I was in Bermuda. The first week was actually, I was still in Dublin. So the, the first two weeks in Bermuda, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. All the lads have their visas sorted. They're ready to go. They're stamped. They've done their 14 days. I'm still in the hotel. I'm ringing the manager being like, you know, I don't really know what's going on. I haven't heard anything, but I'm going to have to stay. The lads fly. They're gone. I was fortunate enough that two other lads actually flew in that same day to come do the process that they were stuck behind a bit later. But that, that basically that day I got a phone call from the manager to say that someone or something has messed up. You're back to square one. Another three weeks, another three weeks maximum, maximum. And he, uh, well, uh, the, the manager was being told by the lawyer that like it shouldn't take three weeks because you did it already, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, two weeks comes. Those lads have their stamp. They've got their passport. They're ready to go. They go. Still no word. Still no word. I'm in the hotel on my own. Like Literally, the hotel that I was in, there was mornings that I would go to breakfast and I'd be the only person there. Gosh. It was nuts. Every now and again, people were coming in, but like literally there would be days where I was on my own. And I made friends in the end. Uh, these two private jet pilots came in for a couple of days. I started chatting with them. They were good crack. We still talk now and then. But yeah, essentially then, after like about the two, two weeks, a little bit further in, probably two and a half weeks, I get to say that I've been approved. But then when the approval comes in, it takes about a week in order for the embassy appointment to be made give your passport back get the passport stamped get that back and then you can fly so it all added up and in, in in total it was seven weeks and then yeah mentioning the mullet that was just 
you know, COVID, I had to do something. So <laughs> got the got the mullet cut there as well at some stage and kind of it kept me sane or insane. I don't know, whatever way. Who depends who you ask. If you ask my mom, I was insane, but um had to do something to, you know, have a bit of a laugh and you know, look, look back in it many years. Oh, remember that time Bermuda mullet, it all kind of adds up and yeah, it's a good story. True, true. Geez, that's uh that's quite amazing. It's interesting. Must have been stressful as well at, at the at the same time. Yeah, it was one of those things that it was so out of my hands that, you know, I couldn't really do much. You know, typical parents looking at, trying to look after me. Joe, shouldn't you be speaking to the manager every day? Shouldn't you be calling the lawyer? Shouldn't someone be doing this? I'm like, in America, everything is paperwork. Like, literally everything. Like, when my visa was approved, a piece of paper had to be mailed from the office to the lawyer who then had to basically scan that and send that to me by email in order for me to get an appointment. And some places in the world only accept the original paper. So if that was the case, he would have then had to mail me that piece of paper to Bermuda if that was the case. So everything's paperwork. So it was just literally out of my hands. It's not like there was a status on a neat, on a website somewhere that says you know your paperwork is on this guy's desk and is being put for review literally it just comes through when it comes through so i i kind of just had to accept this you know i just had to just be like look when it comes through it comes through i, I can't do anything about it but yeah i mean i find um you know being a professional rugby player and all that kind of crap i do find it difficult to um train I, I love running and I love training on the pitch, but I, I've never really been a big fan of the gym. Um, and I, I find any excuse under the sun sometimes to not go, which isn't great. But, you know, there, like there was days there when I'm on my own in the hotel in Bermuda. I'm like, the last thing I want to do is go to the gym, but I literally have nothing else to do. Like it's fully locked down. So that, that was actually the hardest part for me was like getting up and like wanting to go to the gym, which sounds completely insane you know some people have to go to the gym they love it just for me I, i've never really gotten that stimulus mentally or physically from going to the gym getting like some sort of i don't know buzz is what pe people would say when they come back from a great gym session i've just you know it's just not for me i suppose so that was kind of the hardest part was knowing like look i'm going over to a professional rugby setup like i'm not i can't show up like a slob you know I, seven weeks of remute on a on a basically a buffet diet it'll catch up with you pretty quick so for me that was kind of the toughest part um and training on your own you know you're getting up and you're like geez all the lads they were actually all in hawaii they all went to hawaii for preseason. i missed all of it and i'm on a beautiful island i can't complain but you know you've got the whole team mixing bonding first time lads meeting each other doing a full preseason, learning the moves learning the calls getting an understanding of how people play like i missed all of that and then i'm you know i'm doing some running on my own and there but you know i can't, can't i'm not sorry for myself either it's fine <laughs> <laughs> you got there in the end and that's the that's the main thing Bef exactly before we go any further i think it's important to, to clear up something um two things what's your connection to kerry slash dingle i never knew it until until sean yeah. actually said it i think it was off air a couple of weeks ago yeah. mm-hmm yeah, so the connection there with Kerry is, it goes way back. Um, now, <laughs> excuse excuse me, because I don't know all the details. Um, and 
places where my family are from exactly. But roughly. essentially, both of my grandmothers, roughly, both of my grandmothers are from Kerry. But uh, my dad's side, uh, which is the side where I probably would have the strongest connection to Kerry in terms of family and stuff like that um, and, and seeing them most often. They're actually from Dingle. So my grandmother grew up in Dingle. My father used to go down to Dingle most summers, um, whether it was working or just hanging out. Uh, my grandparents own a cottage up there and um, my great aunt, so my grandmother's sister, still lives there, uh, very not too far away from where the Dingle surf shop is. So like right in the middle of the town. Um, so I would go and visit her. Um, yeah, so essentially my aunt, so my dad's sister still lives there. She runs the Grapevine Hostel, which is smack bang in the middle of town. Um, then my cousin, so her daughter, uh, Claire, she also lives in Dingle uh, with her partner and newborn son, Harry, which is great. <laughs> and I get to see him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is awesome um so that's kind of our connection we love going down it's usually like the um pre-covid times we would always go down for new year's which is absolutely mental probably one of the best places in the country for it but anytime we have an opportunity um the house is kind of shared between my my, my dad has two sisters um and one of his sisters has some some kids so they like they usually go down for like the whole summer, spend their whole summers down there. So we try and just uh, share it and just go down whenever we get an opportunity. My sister, uh, my two sisters, actually, when Ireland opened up to intercounty travel, went down, spent the weekend down in Dingle, um, used to go as kids, still love it. Any opportunity, I guess, I try and go down. So absolutely love it. I brought the lads down, actually. Um, 2019, probably the best New Year's I ever had organized for like 12 of the sevens guys because other guys had i would have brought them all down but other guys had things that they wanted to do or whatever we all went down to dingle and stayed down there and had the time of our lives yeah we still yeah. talk about it yeah brilliant brilliant and yeah you'd have to come down again uh you know once things open up <laughs> we're, we're you know things are kind of back to some bit normal Did, yeah, i believe I don't know how true this is now. You said this uh -huh. in an interview, and I just say it just rolled off your tongue. But was the was Flaherty's the first place you had a uh, your first point? The place you had your first point? Yeah. So uh, honestly, no, you can tell us. No, they didn't want to listen <laughs> to this. It's all right. Like <laughs> no. So the, more the context more to that is actually it was uh, first point with my dad. So like, which I would consider realistically like my first like genuine point. Like I would have had. I think I was like 16 at the time, possibly 17, 17 maybe. Because uh, I was in boarding school, so my parents were living in the Middle East, so we went down. But yeah, I would have had would have had beers here or there. But actually, like growing up, I I really didn't uh, I didn't really do that much uh, underage drinking, like people would say. You know, uh, like being in boarding school would never allow something like that. And then for me, I just I I don't know. I just didn't really want to do it. So I actually only really started to have like nights out where I was drinking when I was like 18 or 19. Um, I never, I never really did like anything crazy. I think it was like, I'm kind of like the oldest, I'm the oldest in my family. So I, my dad would have been like, you know, you know, be careful, do all this. And I would, you know, I literally would be careful kind of thing. And, you know, I was a bit too nice nearly. Um, so yeah, Flaherty's was 
the first place I ever had a pint with my dad, like sat down, had a drink. He told me it's actually the first place that he had a pint as well. Now, oh. whether or not that's true, I'm not sure. Um, so I love it down there. That's where, just talking about the sevens as we came down, literally had the night of our lives. Um, so dad obviously knows the owner from years back or whatever, but Flaherty's is very famous for trad music basically every night. We come in, my parents are there. There's a few other parents as well from the sevens team. Um, it was very early in the evening when we went. I asked the lads to just come down because I, I love the bar. And I just said, look, before things get a bit mad, let's go down here. We can have a pint if it's quiet. I don't really care. We'll have one. Just satisfy me, please. And then we can just go. End up going in and turns out my dad had brought the parents for the same reason. So <laughs> next thing you know, we're in there chatting to our parents, having fun. And there's a piano right in the middle. Um, of the wall and there was a lock on it a few drinks um we're kind of like do you mind if we play the piano and he's like uh the owner said um do you know any irish songs you know because it's trad music only really and we're like yeah 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 um turns out then that he said right i'll give you a shot but like if you don't play good music of your crap basically i'm locking it back up so we're like okay grand then there was another guy who was a friend of a friend basically who was down with his his group they merged with us who had a fiddle with him so he's like well i know loads of irish songs is what he says we're like go get it he runs up the road he brings the fiddle back next thing you know he's playing the fiddle all these irish songs and my one of the lads from the team adam levy's playing the piano and we <laughs> spent literally the evening the place was full people were pouring in like didn't even know half the people by the end of it were singing, dancing. And at the end of the night, the owner was like, that's actually one of the best nights we've had in this pub in a very long time. You're more than welcome to come back and play music whenever you like. So we gave him a night off. Um, yeah. So a lot of great memories out of that bar. Brilliant. Brilliant. And yeah. I, if I start asking more questions about things, I'm going to just divert you go off to another place. Actually, Foxy John's, I believe you love yes. that place as well. Beautiful. I love it. I love it. I mean, how could you not love it? You come into the bar and like on the left-hand side, you have your bar as you, as you normally have. And then on the right-hand side, your tools and everything's up on the wall. And uh, you go down to the back, there's a fire. So it's just one of those places you just have to love it. And when you bring your friends down who, who have never been to Ireland and you're like, come on, we'll go to Dingle for a weekend or whatever. You bring them to this place, their head's spinning around. <laughs> they don't know what to believe when they're in there. They think it's a joke nearly, but um, every time you see them then down the, down the road, it's like, oh, is that place still open? Foxy John's, yeah, yeah. You can get all this stuff and you have a good chat and it's a good memory. So I, I do love it, yeah. Brilliant. How, okay, I, I, there's probably no good way of putting this, like, but how did you get the name, <laughs> how did you get the name Salty Nuts? <laughs> it's good, no. I... I Honestly, there's nothing really to it. It was very basic. I, um, I, again, no, uh, you I'm can McNulty. tell the truth here. Like, you can tell the truth here now because there's no, yeah, this is, a, this is, <laughs> <laughs> this is a hundred percent the truth. So, I'm a McNulty. I, uh, kind of picked up the nickname McNuts. I went to Australia for six months studying abroad as part of my university degree. Everyone in Australia loves a nickname. Everything has to be abbreviated, no matter how short the thing is already. So I was like McNuts when I was down there. And then uh, they turned me into then Nuts. So I was basically known as Nuts the whole time. 
And literally, this is how it came about. I decided when I was in Australia uh, that I was going to start creating content. Um, and I wanted to sec- set, set up a second Instagram page because I was going to start traveling. And I just wanted to, it to be my own project. I didn't want to you know, just start posting and kind of annoying people. I was like, if you want to follow, you can follow, essentially. And I was like, well, what name could I come up with? I'm, you know, I've got Mac Nuts. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll just keep the nuts. And then uh, I was trying to think what I could do. I was like, oh, I'm going down the East Coast of Australia, salt water, salty nuts. And that is literally <laughs> as far as I went with it. Like, I know it's bizarre. And when I picked it up and did it, I was like, oh, should I, should I not? You know, and even to this day, sometimes I'm just like, I don't know if I should keep this name, whatever, but... <laughs> People seem to get a laugh out of it and they always ask me questions. I suppose it's a good way for people to kind of break the ice or try and figure it out. But honestly, truth be told, that is as much thought I put into the name. That's all the processing that I did. I was like, all right, grand, I'll put it up. I was like, I'll probably change it at some stage, you know, and just never did. So, yeah. <clears throat> Something else I found very interesting. <laughs> Obviously, you know, I, I spoke about... Um, back actually do you want to just give me 30 seconds um intro <laughs> of your or even 40 second overview of your background because obviously i did it before with with sean and like back and forth and up and down was just <laughs> yeah sure like a spin cycle. <laughs> <laughs> i'll just keep it short i'll best to keep it short and sweet i go on tangents so no, it's really I, I, I want to ask you about um, <laughs> uh, something different as well in a few minutes. So I think that could okay. be great. So I was born in Bahrain. That's where my parents met. They're both Irish. They both went out there at different times and they met there and I was born there. Essentially, we moved around due to my dad wanting to work in finance in Wall Street. That was his dream. So he moved to London because he knew if he was in London that there would be a branch in New York and branch in New York to get over to Wall Street. So London, New York. End up being in London for, or sorry, New York for 10 years. Played all the sports. Ice hockey was my number one. Swimming, uh, swimming, baseball, tennis, kind of were probably the main ones that I ended up playing. Next thing you know, it's a 10-year anniversary of some sort of rugby club thing uh, back in Bahrain. Uh, some sort of cup that was won or whatever. But dad ends up getting an invite. Jeez, we haven't been back to Bahrain in years. Why don't we go back? Next thing you know, we're in Bahrain. Um, my first time being back there since I was born. Ended up meeting kids that I would have like been in the same year as and would have been friends of my parents. Next thing you know, we're only meant to be there for two weeks. I think we ended up staying there for at least a month, possibly almost two. Move back to Go back to New York. Parents decide we're moving back to Bahrain. Oh, my God. Bahrain. <laughs> Halfway through the school year, move back to Bahrain. I'm there for six months. I just finished out my school year, in, in so Christmas to the end. And I didn't really enjoy the school system, the British school system going from the American. It just wasn't for me. Love the people that were there, but I was like, oh, well, I don't really like it. I want to go to boarding school because my uncle went there. So my mom's dad. So he went to Rockwell College. So that September, then I go to Rockwell College. That's where I began my basic rugby career after learning a bit in Bahrain and playing a few mini games or whatever. So end up going uh, there, doing everywhere from second year up to sixth year. 
uh, never made any team. I was always on the B team. Then in fifth and sixth year, started making the, the first team, win a senior cup, go to Dublin, no academy, you know, contracts or anything, end up playing a year at 20s, end up getting a monster contract, moved down to Limerick from Dublin, changed my degree, there for two years, get leave the Munster Academy, go up to Dublin. And it brings me to around 2014, playing UCD, liking it, not liking it, whatever. No, no real career path in the, in the rugby, focus on my um, uh, studies. And the, the sevens starts up in 2015. So that's how, that's basically brings me to the sevens. And then basically have done the sevens from 2015 all the way up until just last year. And now I'm in the MLR. So that quick enough for you. That's perfect. In <laughs> fairness, no, there, there's, a, there's a, lot, a, lot, a lot to cover there. There's one thing I wanted uh, just to highlight, which I found very interesting. I never realized yeah. it. Wouldn't put you in that category at all. Um, yeah. I don't know who I should win in that category. I seem to come to think of it, but food scientist, you're quite, you're a, you have a food scientist degree. I do have a food science degree. Yeah. Science so, degree, apologies. Yeah. Ah, same. Yeah. It's all good. Food science degree. So essentially, uh, I was not a bad student, but I wasn't the best student. Um, just from a studies point, like you know, I hit my limit, I suppose. <laughs> so I always knew I was probably going to get in like the four hundred. So I got four ten. Uh, like my uncle asked me in third year, I'm, this conversation ingrained in my brain. He's like, after third year, he's like, what do you reckon you, you know, did you do in the leaving cert? I was like, I'll get four, I'll get like 400 points or something like that. I think end up getting 410. So I think I knew where I was sitting on the spectrum. So um, yeah, I wanted, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I didn't want to do business. So, and I knew that I wanted to do science. I actually really wanted to do zoology. It's still a massive passion of mine, like uh, conservation and animals. I grew up watching the National Geographic Discovery Channel, all that kind of stuff. So I was like, I'd love to do zoology. Parents like, what the hell are you going to do in zoology? Like, what job are you going to do? Like, you know, I I didn't even have an answer for them. I was like, I don't know, but I want to do it. Anyway, in order for me to do some of that, I had to get into science. And Jesus, it was just after the... The crash, you know, 2008, 2009. So in 2011 is when I was graduating. You know, we're starting to come out of the recession a bit. Finance jobs weren't really going. So those points were way lower and science stuff was getting really high. So like just to get into general science in Trinity, it was like 530 mm-hmm. points or something, 500 points anyway. So didn't get that grant. Didn't get science in my top two. So my third one was food science and DIT. Oh, no, excuse me. Completely wrong. My third one was forensics in DIT. Oh. Forensics. So I ended up doing a year in, in, in DIT. Um, my mom, you know, helped me out with that. And she was like, why don't you give it a go? You're like, and realistically, any kids listening to this, if you do sci- any science degree in any university in the country, first year is general science. Your degree name, so forensics for me, is only one module in that year. So realistically, I did a full year of general science, which would have taken place in any university in Ireland. And I did one degree or one module, sorry, in forensics. So if, you know, if I ended up doing anything else, it would have been the exact same thing, realistically. Where the food science came in is actually when I moved down to Limerick uh, for the Munster Academy, they didn't have forensics. So I changed over into food science because um, basically I like science, I like food. (laughs) And it was a degree that I could get into. Um, and I did, I did this, you know, I was full-time in the academy. So I was kind of, 
I split my modules over two years instead of just doing it in the full, kind of doing that, was kind of half doing it, not really doing it. And then when I left Munster, um, I transferred over to UCD and essentially I got into food science in UCD and that's where I just stuck it out. Um, and yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed that degree. It was great. I learned a, I learned a lot. It's really open style degree in terms of work post you know so like sometimes obviously if you want to be a doctor you go and do medicine but like some degrees you can find that you can be quite stuck in that area again yeah, like definitely. if you want to be accountant you do accounts but like food science you can essentially work in any section of the food industry a lot of my mates actually ended up um you know working for kerry uh like Kerry Gold and, and in the dairy industry, others ended up working in like the bottling industry. So, which is massive for the likes of Jameson and all the different spirits working in that, like quality control. Uh, one of my friends has a job in Guinness where she is working on the creative side of things. So coming up with, you know, the new types of Guinness that are coming out that they do um, like trials for. So say even oh, like Hop House 13 and stuff, like all these types of different beers. She's involved in all that kind of stuff. You can get into meat. You can get into packaging. You can get into storage. Uh, literally anything that would happen with food that's not like a chef, essentially. But even you can apply food science um, lessons to, to your food, to, to like a chef, you can basically be in. So it's broad and it's great. Yeah. That's, that's a perfect segue in the call call this now segue into what yeah. i'm going to say next yeah, yeah. um you spent and i i want to get i want to delve into this because again it's not all about alcohol but the fact yeah it's in this it's in the, your story i think we might as well just talk about it um yeah. guinness you walked in guinness and you walked in jameson for a while what was that like unreal, yeah yeah unreal uh it was brilliant the guinness was brilliant i was working in the storehouse so the the um, tourist attraction, which is like, at the time, it was the highest visited paid tourist attraction in Europe, as far as I'm aware. Mm-hmm. And it was like a million people a year, like nuts stuff. Um, but what was really brilliant about that was I was in this food science degree and I'm in this amazing facility where food science is just everywhere. And I'm actually learning all about it while, because I had to be able to tell people that were visiting all about it. So, so much of the stuff that I was learning, I was finding really interesting. And it actually is probably one of the reasons I ended up working um, kind of with Jameson. Um, So I was learning about the brewing and I was learning about where they're getting the flavors from the roasting, how the Guinness uh, back in, you know, the early 1900s, wasn't traveling well to the likes of Africa or the Caribbean and why they had to change the recipe. And that recipe is now what they use in the likes of uh, Africa and the Caribbean, because that's what they're used to. And just all these different reasons, it it just all started correlating with what I was studying. So I really enjoyed it. And before craft beers were a big thing, I was working with guys brewing beer in their apartments in Dublin. What? Like, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. wow. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How did, <laughs> how did you, how did this come into the whole thing? Like, well, basically, like, I was just 
you know, hanging out with these guys after work and we were talking about beers and it was literally at the point when the first craft beers were starting in Ireland or they were getting them in. And I was with these guys and they're like drinking these craft beers. They'll have Guinness, but then they'll have one or two craft beers and they'll be talking about, oh, what do you think of this? Like, how do you know so much? Oh, I've been, you know, making my own beer in my house for the last five, six, seven, eight years. I'm like, whoa, my mind was absolutely blown. And then I started trying to learn more about it and they were telling me and um, yeah, they just that whole setup. So that really got me interested. That's something I'd still love to do. I haven't had an opportunity to kind of do it because it's it's essentially a science it's time it's temperature it's weight and you just let it do its thing and then you bottle it up and all sorts of stuff so doing that and then the jameson thing where that came about from was um actually through promotional work so there's a, a company called platinum that do promo work and it's probably like the most college job you could ever have they're they're a company that are contacted by brands saying that hey we're doing this promotion can you you know get us labor essentially and jameson was one of their contracts where jameson said um at the time that they are bringing out black barrel so black barrel has been a real hit i was working for uh, platinum where they would ring me or text me say hey harry are you available on this day at this time for this length uh, in this destination. So uh, I said, yes, I am. I need some work. And just so happened to be uh, Jameson Black Barrel whiskey tasting, usually in like a Tesco's. So I would go pick up this van. I would put this massive cask in the back of the van, which had Black Barrel on it. And then I'd take it out and wheel it through a Tesco's, put it in the liquor aisle. I'd have two bottles of Black Barrel and then I had to basically wait for people to see if they wanted to taste it and tell them about it. And I did it for a good few weeks. And I think they thought I was good at it or enjoyed it. But they ended up bringing me in and doing like a full-on whiskey tasting with one of the people from Jameson. Went through all their whiskeys. Um, and Jameson is owned by Irish distillers who basically own Middleton, Powers, Green Spot uh jameson obviously um so i actually ended up tasting all of these different whiskeys and then i had to then with them go to uh, the kilkenny store on dawson street in dublin mm-hmm. where they sell a lot of basically a lot of uh stuff that american tourists really like so there'd be water for crystal and there'd be like uh i don't know different like rugs and cutlery and all sorts but we would do once a week whiskey tasting uh because waterford crystal had come out with the entire whiskey glass range so it was to try and sell both together in a sense so i did a load of that and i actually didn't like whiskey previous to that point but after doing the tastings and learning i i started to love it and now i actually have a whiskey collection upstairs (laughs) Um, so yeah it's it's funny how it all works out and you know one thing just kind of leads to another and you you end up getting all these little passion projects on the side and uh, I really enjoy. I really, really enjoy all that stuff. So, um, yeah, that, it, it's a bit, bit bizarre, but it's good. <laughs> yeah, he's quite. He's completely gone off topic from sport and all that. Like, but, uh, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> but I uh, just, I, I, I can see now. And look, I'm more than happy to help out with it. But salty nuts brew. 
There you go. Yeah, look, you're signed. You're signed, done. mate. Signed, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're going to headquartered in, in Kerry, Tax Haven or something like that. Perfect. I'm down. I'm down. Let's get it sorted. Yeah. Perfect. Even, perfect. You know, talking about all that, like Dingle has obviously been uh, a real success story over the last couple of years, and they're doing amazing stuff, winning awards and everything. So um, that's brilliant to see. Yeah, uh, no, they're they're doing excellent in fairness to them, and they're the whiskey and and uh, the gin. The gin is beautiful as well. I drink whiskey. Yeah. I wouldn't drink a lot, like, but yeah, yeah. I think it's something you kind of start drinking as you get older. You kind of develop. Yeah, it's definitely something you have to develop a taste for, and you understand what you like and what you don't like. Just one of those things, but uh, only a little bit. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Just would you drink it on rocks then, or would you drink it? I actually drink it straight because that's how I had to do the tastings, and because I did the tastings like that, that's how I like it. I don't know, one of those things. Jeez, nope. a little bit of hair in your chest, and <laughs> I have a few, not too many. But... <laughs> Look, we'll, we'll go back to rugby because I'll just keep talking go, about this go. otherwise. Um, rugby sevens, I know we, we spoke about and all that, we delve into mm. it, etc. Just basic differences between the sevens and the fifteens, obviously, less players, you know, probably much mm. quicker. Mm-hmm. Yep, so the, your standard fifteens. You play one game on a Saturday or whatever, Sunday. There's 15 players, first 15 players, and it's an 80-minute long game. Uh, sevens is different because it's seven players, first seven players. Um, but it's on the same exact size pitch, and the rules are 95% the same. Um the only differences would be kind of if you score a try rather than kicking it off a tee, the, the player will actually drop kick it instead just to keep the speed of the game up. And then if you score, you actually kick off again rather than receive the kick. So like small little things like that. But instead of playing an 80-minute game, which wouldn't be possible, we play a 14-minute game. So two seven-minute halves that is literally all you can pretty much give it's it's brutal it's really high pace you're basically going flat out for the entirety of the 14 minutes um and you play in a tournament styled fashion so rather than playing just one game on a saturday <laughs> no point two teams flying around the world to play one game on a saturday for 14 minutes you you end playing six games over a weekend is the usual style so you would play three on the saturday and three on the sunday and then um, most of the time, even at like a amateur level, you know, just playing in tournaments in England, it would be quite big. Or even in Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, you would, there would be like a little series that would take place. So you play that weekend, you probably play the weekend after, and then there might be a break for a week or two and then kind of do the same thing again. Um, professionally from sevens, it's at the moment, uh, realistically, only international level. Now, there is sevens tournaments around the world where you would get like kind of paid to play um, at them, but realistically, those tournaments are uh, like once a year. There's there's no league associated with it, so it's not like you're building up points. You're only building up points that weekend, and um, like the team itself would change every single time that they play. They're called invitational teams. So you might get, you might not even get paid, but you just get everything paid for, but that's just kind of a separate thing and a bit more fun and people set it up. So realistically you have to be playing at this moment, 
in time internationally to be technically in like an uh, prof professional setup. Yeah. The, the sevens program when he got set up was it probably 14, 15 and you came to the fording, your mother mm -hmm. recommended you should go and, and it actually dwindled down from 300 people um, it, in the trials. But do you want to kind of just give it a brief insight into the rise from, you know, he started off in the bottom, bottom, bottom. Was it Group C or something of the European? And now you're in the World yeah. Series. Remarkable rise. Yeah, so there's always a funny story that people love. Is my, uh, the 2014-15, the, the RFU said that they're going to put together a sevens program. The way that you entered was basically like send an email my mom sent it on my behalf to tell me that I was going. She brought me up to Santry out to the the athletic track to go do the testing, which was a fitness test and some other like jump tests and, and speed tests. So I ended up doing that. And then from there was invited to go to trial games, played trial games from people that were selected from those initial uh, testings. And then the week after that played more trial games, but it was against, uh, it was essentially one team was picked from that original um, set of games and then the week after you played against teams that were made from the academy players at the time so it was like a little bit of a progression right you played well in the first week now we're going to take those guys and then we're going to play against academy guys and then keep going so slow start uh, we were a new team even though Ireland had a 15th team at the time was third in the world I think world rugby essentially say doesn't matter it's a separate uh, separate team so in order for you to uh, be in the top division or rankings all that kind of stuff you've got to start from you know the bottom because you're the brand new team so you know we've got no data on you or whatever you can't just go into the top division so um, division uh, C is the lowest division in Europe um, and surprising that they actually have this many divisions but it's just the way it goes so we went to Division C. Our first ever tournament was in Bosnia. So my first cap for Ireland Sevens is Bosnia uh, against Bosnia. And that was you know, <laughs> a, a good experience. Uh, just absolutely nuts. We're playing against Iceland and Austria and Hungary, Turkey, all these teams. And uh, you're in just you know a country that you never thought you'd go to and every time I open my passport I see that Bosnia stamp and you know brings me all the way back and end up winning that tournament and winning that tournament promoted us to, to B tournament uh, B was in Croatia so we were playing Slovenia Slovakia Malta Malta is the biggest win I think we've ever had it was 80 nil in 14 minutes <laughs> so it was like a it was like a race to score. It was kick off. Someone would basically jump up, catch the ball, and like break the first tackle, maybe get tackle the second offload, score. Everyone run back and like you would chuck the ball back, take the kick as quickly as possible, try and get another ball in. And as soon as the guy who scored the try basically got over the halfway line, we'd kick it to the other side. So the other person could catch it and try and score. It was nuts. Um, it should be a, a world record or something. I don't know. Um, nothing was ever made about it. But we graduated from Division B. Actually, the only tournament ever we played that no one scored a point against us in the full tournament. Jeez. Probably should be another world record. I don't know. Um, not one point was scored against us. So then we went to Division A. 
Now, Division A started to get a little bit more, like, obviously difficult, but like a little bit more 70s style because we actually had to play in two tournaments that year in order to qualify. So you had to play the first tournament, accumulate your points, and play the second tournament, accumulate your points. And then the overall winner went up to what's called the Grand Prix. So Division A was in Prague in the Czech Republic and was also in Malmo in Sweden. And sorry, for just for clarification, why were they in these countries? Essentially, the uh, top nation in that division was the host nation. So that year, Sweden was the top rank. So we went to Sweden and then the Czech Republic was the second top rank. So Bosnia were the top ranked in that year. So that's why we went to Bosnia all those years ago. So that's why it wasn't just like go to a random place. Um, and then the Grand Prix. So the Grand Prix is the highest level in Europe. And that tournament um, we still play in. That's the what I spoke about earlier when we had European um, qualifiers. So oh, for the yeah. World Cup of the Olympics, it actually takes place in the Grand Prix. So in order for you to get onto the World Series, um, you need to be... So it gets a little difficult in the explanation. Essentially... The teams that play in the Grand Prix are all the European teams, even if they're on the World Series. So France, for example, England, they're on the World Series, but they still play in the Grand Prix. But to get onto the World Series, you know, you've got to, you got to play. You still have to play these teams, but if as long as you are the highest ranked non-World Series team in the Grand Prix, you go to Hong Kong which is where the qualifier to get on the World Series takes place, if that makes sense. That's so, where you went to in 19. Yes, yeah. exactly. So we, Ireland, we ended up like winning the Grand Prix because the likes of France and England used those tournaments to develop their talent because they don't need to, per se, win it because it doesn't do anything for them in terms of promotion or getting a better place in the world series it's it's a tournament for them to to play but also grow some some depth so you know we had the irish team playing at full strength wanting to win absolutely every game every point mattered so we end up you know getting high on that table but because we were the highest ranked european team not in the world series that allowed us to go to hong kong and hong kong much like this repechage is happening in monaco is a winner takes all. And it's all the teams from around the world that have come from their European, or sorry, not their European, their, um, their uh, section, their regional tournaments, they all come to Hong Kong. So you're still getting the likes of Hong Kong Sevens, you're getting Zimbabwe again, you're getting Chile. These teams are starting to repeat themselves in terms of all these tournaments that are happening. And the winner of that tournament, one winner only, one uh, winner takes all, qualifies for the World Series. So you get one shot, like literally you lose that. You go back to Europe the next summer to try and qualify for it all over again. Oh my God. It's very intense. It's, very intense. If the World Series or if it's the Olympics, like, you know, there's a lot of pressure on, you know, over the next four weeks. In there. It is, it's brutal. It, it is honestly, it's, it's nearly too harsh. Um, in a style like I know that the money isn't really there 
to do it any other way. They were trying, they actually pre-COVID did, did do a different style mm -hmm. where they held two tournaments prior to Hong Kong and then they were building up points in those and then Hong Kong was going to be the finale. So that makes a lot more sense because like, if you're one team that kind of have an off day, at least you've got another tournament that you can maybe try and win it back and then you got Hong Kong again for you to, to win the whole thing. Whereas like literally one tournament to win it and the difference, you know, playing in the Grand Prix only and being on the World Series, the World Series takes you from November to May. And then when that's over, when that's over in May, in June, you're, you start playing the Grand Prix, okay? But if you're not on the World Series, you just play in June, July, August, whatever it is. You qualify for Hong Kong. You've got to wait till uh, March. No, you've got to wait till April the following year to play in Hong Kong to try and get on the series. Jesus, excuse me, but it's very intense. Like I never realized it's like that. Yeah, it's it's do or die essentially. So like you qualify, you know that you're qualified for Hong Kong come August, but you're not in the World Series, so you're not playing in these Dubai's and all that kind of stuff. You're literally picking up, trying to pick up tournaments here, or there. We would fly over to Wales to train against Wales to get them prepared for Sydney when they went down to Sydney and get us better. We would then. Uh, we actually end up going to South America. We end up going to South Africa at one stage. Um, we do. We, we we did play in London and Paris World Series because we were the again the top ranked nation not on the World Series. It's it kind of confusing, but every leg there's a regional team that are asked to play. So there's 16 teams that play in a tournament. Only 15 of them are actually on the top level, and the regional team comes in. So to break that down a little bit more in Dubai and Cape town, an African nation will end up playing in both of those legs. And then when you get to New Zealand and, and um, New Zealand and Sydney, sorry, a, a South Pacific team usually ends up playing like Tonga. Then when you get to America, it's one of the America's teams. So Chile usually get it. And then when you get to uh, London and Paris, it ends up being, had, had ended up being us. So that's just an extra. So you get, you get like two tournaments, of really high level before you even get to like Hong Kong and stuff. It's it, like, you know, it's, it's really hard to, to get on it as well. Basically you need to take away from all this kind of stuff. So. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's something I don't think a lot of people are aware of, like obviously in Dublin and all that and rugby, you know, rugby is big and, you know, in Limerick rugby is big, but you know, down here, rugby would be big enough. Obviously GA is number one, but it's the rugby sevens. I think people would have interest in as well, because it brings that, it brings that air of like party atmosphere. You know, you see, you yeah. see that, yeah. You see, you're, you're Tell me about there. it. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. I, I've been fortunate enough to be on both sides of the fence, so um, it is a wicked party. I, like it's a tournament style, so there's games happening from nine thirty in the morning till six o'clock at night or seven o'clock at night. So if you're a it's tough on a supporter in that regard because right, you're there to support Ireland. You're not really there to support anybody else. You watch the big games like New Zealand and Fiji and stuff. But, you know, if Ireland play at 11 in the morning, they don't play till 2 o'clock in the afternoon again. What else are you going to do? Like, you know, you're in a stadium. Usually that stadium isn't uh, close to the city. Some, some of them are, some of them aren't. But, um, you know, you're not going to leave and come back and go to security. Like, you're going to stay and when you stay 
you know you kind of get into the, the, into the party mode yeah into the pub a few drinks <laughs> music they'll have a dj playing or something there'll be tunes going on you'll be singing next thing you know you miss the Ireland game because you were singing and you were chatting to your mates and uh, all that kind of stuff so uh it is a it is a fantastic party and there's a couple of tournaments around the world especially dubai cape town uh hong kong uh vancouver these like unreal stuff like the crowd get behind it and that's what you really want when the crowd get behind it there's nothing better and wait to experience uh oh <laughs> that no soon um, you'll be flying i'll be waiting to pick those big fat red head and maybe from the sun <laughs> Come here. um i i think it's important as well because um you know everyone's going through a difficult time at the moment and mm-hmm. we'd like to understand how are you so lucky Mini Cooper, uh, Royal Caribbean <laughs> cruise. Oh, um, yeah. But I keep going. <laughs> keep going, go on. Wow. I think that's enough. <laughs> yeah. Ah, it's one of these things, right? My father, my dad, always says, in fairness to him, you create your own luck. Now, you know, take it with a pinch of salt, I guess, in some extent. But the Royal Caribbean thing and the Mini Cooper and all that was like. A little bit of right place, right time. Um, mm. You know, my aunt down in Dingle, Siobhan, she told me about the Royal Caribbean thing. You know, I wouldn't have known about it if it wasn't for her. She sent me a Facebook message, said, look, I think you'd be really good at this. You should apply. So, you know, I did. But I applied, like, long story, long story short, I don't even know if I'm possible to do that anymore. But essentially, this Royal Caribbean trip that I, I won... Um, if you're listening, <laughs> surprise, surprise, I won. Um, I end up going around the world work for work for three and a half weeks, taking photos and, and creating content and telling people what they can experience when they get to these destinations. But two years previous to that competition, I applied for a similar competition, um, which I end up getting into the top 20 of as well. I created like what you would coin as like a holiday video, you know, like cool music and loads of fast shots and all that kind of stuff. And I really love that video. It probably isn't the best video I ever made, but at the time I was like, yeah, this is brilliant. I love it. I definitely have a shot and got to the top 20. And then I didn't win it. And I was like, you know, why didn't I win it? My video is better than that person's or whatever I thought at the time. But when I kind of sat back and looked at it, the person who won that competition was actually speaking to camera during the video, not for all of it, but there was, there was an element of, of him speaking to the camera where mine was just like action shots, travel, having fun. And what I took away from that was they were able to kind of understand one that he could speak to camera, but two, like what his personality was like, they got to essentially meet the, the man behind the camera before actually meeting him and i never even thought much about it at the time but when this came about the royal caribbean job it was the same kind of thing create a piece of content didn't even have to create it it could have already been created previously um you had to tag them and use a hashtag that to enter the comp so i thought to myself right there's so many amazing photographers out there i like to take photos as well but how can i you know, separate myself from the crowd. I want to make a video one because it's a little bit harder to do. 
Um, and I don't think as many people are going to do it. So why not? And then three, I was like, so I said to myself, geez, you remember that competition you tried to go for two years ago? The guy won it. He spoke to camera. So I was like, I'm going to speak to camera. I'm going to introduce myself. I'm going to let these uh, judges understand who I am before they ever meet me or however, however they're going to judge it. I was the only person in the entire competition to do that. I spoke for 30 seconds. It was in my kitchen at the time. I sat at the camera and I said, I'm going to do this until I make no mistakes in uh, my speech, um, in what I'm trying to say. So I wasn't going to speak and then cut it up and try and put it together. I was like, it's going to be fluid. I'm going to say it all in one go. And I'm not going to move from this spot until it happens. So I ended up getting it. I said, I'm Harry McNulty, 27, 26, whatever it was. I love to travel and professional rugby player. Like, this is why you should hire me, X, Y, Z. And here's a video that I created for you. So on Instagram, a minute long was all you could do. So I had 30 seconds of speak, speaking and 30 seconds of video. Ended up putting it in. And the next thing you know, I won it. And uh, in, in an even crazier set of circumstances i was told that i won the competition on the wednesday before we played in hong kong to qualify for the world series and we won the world series uh, we won the qualifier on the sunday and i couldn't tell anybody how did you think, keep it quiet how did you keep that quiet <laughs> i told two people because they were involved in kind of my path to getting there and um some of the video stuff so i told them I didn't tell anyone else because I didn't want them to think that I was distracted in preparation for the tournament. I didn't want to distract them from their preparation in the tournament. Mm -hmm. So I just had to not tell anybody. And yeah, I was on the phone in my hotel room on a Wednesday night. Like I was getting uh, interviewed basically for the job. And then, you know, an hour later, I got another phone call and said that I won it. And then jumping up and down in my room with my roommates. And yeah, it was just bizarre. So look, if I had never applied for that competition all those years ago, I, you know, it probably would have been a completely different story. But at the same time, there is a, luck, a bit of luck to it as well. So uh, the Mini Cooper thing as well was just, yeah, same kind, of, same kind of thing, just trying to create a video and someone contacted me about it. I brought my friend with me. The other guy that, so that guy that I brought on that trip for the Mini Cooper thing, was one of the guys I told, and the roommate obviously that I had was the other guy. Oh. So it's it all connects in mysterious ways. <laughs> so I, the, ah, the, um, what was I going to say? The Jesus, oh, fucking going blank. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> so we 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 nearly finished. Don't worry, we, we finished off for a couple of minutes just trying to. Oh, I, I love to just get into the the create the content creation aspect of the whole thing you do. Yeah. Um, number one. Mm -hmm. How did you kind of teach yourself um, Photoshop and video editing and all that? Because you are a food scientist, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, degree. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So uh, the two of those don't really go together. But essentially, going all the way back to my time in Australia when I was creating the Salty Nuts thing, um, <laughs> I, I had the idea that I was traveling and I wanted to create a video and I wanted to create a travel video from my trip and I was going to Australia and Bali and stuff. So I slowly started uh, creating these videos and putting them together. I was using YouTube. Essentially it's all technically uh, self-learned through YouTube. Um, I would, I, I was able to like 
cut the videos together and put it and then i'd be like all right i saw this guy doing this thing transition or whatever it may be like how is that possible so i'd kind of look it up and give it a crack and you know over time you just start learning a bit more and a bit more and you just get better i mean it took me like took me realistically like four four to five years where i was probably a, a good a good enough level to be confident to you know, work for companies and brands and stuff like that. Like the first three were just like, I'm completely just creating for my own sake, you know, um, there was no intention behind it in terms of work. But then once after those three years, I was having a lot of fun with it and really enjoying it. I was like, Joe, I want to do this for work. So um, how can I do that? And just start to step my game up a bit. And I purchased like a big boy camera, uh, put a bit of money into it, but you know, oh, like obviously people say like the equipment doesn't matter it doesn't like especially if you're just creating but once you get to a level where you're creating for a, someone else or a brand there's obviously going to be a certain a certain threshold of quality that has to be hit so you know that was more so the, the sake of um getting like a, a more expensive camera and stuff like that and kind of picking up bits of gear so yeah, i suppose you accumulated that gear yeah, you accumulate that gear, you know, through the years. Um, and one thing I'm actually blown away. Yeah, by, yeah. That what I'm blown away by, and, and <laughs> I admire is the 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 new business you set up yourself and and Sean and a few other guys. Um, Imagio, yep. Imagio, Imago, Imago. Yeah, hard work. Yeah, Imago. Kerry yeah. Fennano trying to get all these things together. Like it's just going to be, mm. it's going to be challenging, but um. The content you put out is excellent. It's um it's easy to understand and it's relatable. I think personally, I've taken a lot from it. You know the way you put the lenses and how people, how these creators use the their phones. Is a lot of the stuff you shoot used uh, done through an iPhone, or would you use your your higher equipment? So that's a really interesting question. So the basis behind the company is essentially like we're, we want to try and um, uh, work firstly with athletes because it's our closest book of content, contacts to get them to try and accelerate their content creation, just even if it's thinking about it and trying to bring a, a, another level to their uh, creation capabilities because we believe that if they can create better content, then they're worth more to a brand. But also the the connection that they have with the brand is stronger as well. And the, the chance of repeated uh, work slash contracts or opportunities will increase. And because and also we we know that athletes are not just athletes there's way more to them so people like to cook and like myself like like to create content and all that kind of stuff so you know seeing if there's an avenue with them that they really enjoy doing and you're building that brand so that when they finish playing their sport then they have that brand and hopefully we can acquire um we can acquire contracts for them with brands that align with them and mm. that's how we would then essentially like you know make our money and then also trying to do it with businesses as well so like Slow process, we're learning a whole lot, but with the content that we are putting on our social media, I I run that and that's that's my forte is the content side of things. And I just decided that you need, well, all content like um, and social media is like, there needs to be a reason for people to join or 
follow or like. So I was trying to figure out what that might be or what that would look like. And I always say that people love to learn. So I wanted to be able to take that aspect, which is ingrained in our company anyway, is trying to teach people like how to be better at, uh, at content and upskilling and all that. Um, take that learning aspect and put that into social media so that others can learn as well. And the content that we're putting out isn't per se made by us. Um, it's because I know there's so many brilliant creators out there. I was like, I could create something. It could take me five hours to do it, but I know someone else has done it. So why not take what they have, um, put it on our social media, but tagging them, explaining why they've done it and why it's brilliant and pushing it towards their channel as well, like fully crediting them, of course. Um, but like putting a spotlight on them too so that people can see what they're doing. And um, hopefully then people are learning new things. So the recently we've been doing like even things like how to pose like in front of a camera, people struggle with it, I struggle with it, but you know, I found brilliant piece of content on how to do that or how to use your phone, what settings you should be using for video, all that kind of stuff. So get to, to your question, what do I use? It actually depends on what I would be say shooting. So if it was for someone like a client, I would be using my high-end gear, want to make sure it's the best quality possible. iPhones are absolutely brilliant and they're really competing and stuff, but I just have a bit more with the change of my lenses and stuff that I can get different styles and get the flow that I want. But from like an absolute day-to-day -day basis when I'm doing stories, even when I'm doing stories for brands, like that's all through my phone. Um, I usually shoot it on the phone first and then upload it afterwards. Um, I did a video actually that we used for the Amago socials. I also put it on TikTok and stuff like that, which was how to do a hyperlapse with your GoPro. I shot the hyperlapse with the GoPro, obviously, but I shot all the rest of it with um, my iPhone. And there was bits of me talking over the camera, um, it, like saying what I'm doing. And I literally just voice recorded that into the phone and the voice recording app and put that up over it. So 95% of that video was all done with my phone. And it's a really quick, short, informative style video. So um, I don't feel as though I need to use my hind gear all the time, but I... Uh, know when I need to use it essentially um, there's a right time yeah it's this is probably going to be difficult then to know well <laughs> you know you might be biased in a way but I, I don't think you will um, no hold on I shouldn't be saying this I just want to come up with it right um, yeah. what's your opinion on social media you know out there do you think it's having a positive or negative effect on on people in general um, it's tough one i personally there's a line, I there's a line yeah there, I, 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 per, I personally believe you know you need to one you need to be if, if you are posting if you are creating it needs to be for yourself that's that's a healthy relationship with social media is for yourself and not for for others i'm like and i mean it in terms of you're posting what you love like you're not posting like you're not posting that you drink whiskey to try and impress someone else, you know, saying yeah. that you love it that much, kind of whatever, you know what, it, you know, whatever it may be. Um, number one is that you need to, you need to love what you do. So I love what I'm, I love what I'm posting and the people that I work with, I love the, all those brands and everything. So I, I really enjoy it. I get a lot out of it. Also the people that I follow are people that I find inspirational from whatever aspect 
or reason that I follow them for. So whether it's their photography, video, maybe it's just their outlook on life. Um, that's why I'm following. So it, what's difficult is the, um, obviously, you, like there's like these beauty standards or there's people that are gaining mass following because of um, maybe the way they look and stuff like that, where that people can get very sucked into all that sort of style of social media where um, you, you need to become happy with the person that you are at the end of the day. You know, there's, there's, and the only person who can do that is yourself. So if you're following people because you um, idolize them in such a way that it's detrimental, it's like, I wish I looked like them. I wish um, I had a life like them. And all you're doing is trying to, you know, turn yourself into them in a, in a way, then it's going to be the downfall. Whereas if you take inspiration from them, it's like, do you know what? I really wish I could um, travel the world like that person. It's like, how are they doing it? Oh, well, you know, they are really passionate about the, what they do. And the passion that, that has got them to where they are has led them to creating a very successful business. And you know what? I need to figure out what I'm passionate about and I need to create that success. And that success will then allow me to travel the world. So you need to be able to dissect and understand the the way that you want to get to where you need to get to so yes and no i i think i have managed to find a, a good side of social media and what works for me but it's easy to get caught up in it i understand that and um it can be detrimental yeah but so yeah it's a tough one but i hope hopefully i explained this yeah no, uh, I, know, I know i know what you mean you know people you can have detrimental effect on people and it's this it's that fine line you know and to have a healthy relationship with it i suppose is the is the key mm -hmm. one one thing because this is a million dollar question um how you've two, <laughs> you've two instagram pages and how did you grow both of them to such yeah. a large following was there a goal initially oh. or how it happened so the 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 rugby one, the McNutts one is kind of, it's, it's grown a bit naturally, like being on the sevens and kind of being at an international stage, you know, like today, I mean, the IRFU posted about me. So like there, if you have half a million followers, so like you, you pick up like 30 followers here or there. So like that one kind of just, just being associated with the rugby and being in there, you just kind of pop up and, and, and get a bit of a following. That's never any, I've never, never tried to chase a following on that one by any means or try look for, looked at numbers or anything like that. The salty notes one, I think like any creator, like it's always in the back of your mind, even if you say it's not. Um, now I always kind of had a goal to try and get to 10 K. Uh, it's still incredibly difficult to grow um, to an extent. It's like a full-time job nearly. It's, you know, you know yourself. Um, I was very fortunate that one I had like the mini thing and the Royal Caribbean thing that helped me grow um, because you're accessing other channels. Then um, Greg O'Shea, popular name in the island of Ireland. He actually won Love Island. And when he won, um, I basically spoke to him. I said, look, you know, you've got a million followers here. Um, make sure you start creating some content because you went in with 2000 <laughs> and you posted every blue moon. So 
Yeah, not the way it works. So I said to him, like, look, obviously I love my content and all that kind of stuff. And we, Greg and I have been great friends for a long time. You know, I didn't just jump on the, his back when he got a bit of fame. Like we were in the Monster Academy together. I think he actually took my sister to the devs. So uh, we, go, we go a long way back. Oh, <laughs> so, um, you know, I didn't just try and sneak in there. But essentially what I said to him, I was like, look, Greg, if you need help with social media, like, just let me know. I'll help you out. Um, and then I said, look, I think you should do some YouTube think you'll uh, you'll find it very beneficial it's monetizable so i ended up creating and shooting about four or five vlogs for greg um where i followed him around and basically shot videos for him and just through the uh, the association with him and, and getting um uh into one or two bits of his social media i end up getting a follow a bit of a following from that so um I'm delighted that I did this YouTube stuff with him because Greg has now learned himself how to edit, how to shoot. He's got a camera. He does a whole yoga series. He posts videos on, on YouTube um, at not a bad rate, actually, in fairness to him. He's grown a following as well. I haven't had any input in any of his stuff, you know, in, in definitely over a year at least. And he's happy out making these videos and he's doing really well with it. So you know, I was able to do a couple of weeks with him and next thing you know, he's, he's taken it on. So I'm delighted that that's happened. But essentially, the key aspect to all that growth is, is actually connecting with others um, in the similar space. Uh, the reason it happens naturally is because you have a similar interest to that other person, even if it doesn't matter if they don't have a big following, 500 people or 300 people, whatever, there's still 300 people there you're on social media next thing you know there's 10 people on that that really enjoy what you're like what you're doing next thing you could have 10 extra followers from that and that's how this whole social media thing grows i think personally that's what i found is the best is is the crossing over of you onto someone else's social platform by being involved with what they're doing and they do something that's of interest of you and then vice versa they're crossing over into yours so personally that's how i found uh, the the best the best growth do you where do you feel social media is going when i say social media i suppose it's, it's tiktok and instagram really mm, i find instagram has really slowed really really slowed mm. um especially in the last like six to eight months like i've noticed that my engagement levels have dropped a ton uh well not a ton a, a good bit um one of my mates has a, a large following really large following at least double of what i've got and some days he's not even reaching the same amount of likes say that I would be getting. Now it's not a numbers game by any means, but just not something's not up there, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't know what's going on. Like I, I'm noticing it with other channels and people are saying it. Um, I'm actually getting into Twitter a lot. I yeah. love Twitter. I, I actually really like it as well. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, probably my favorite social media platform. Uh, I, I do. I, I'm really enjoying TikTok from the, uh, learning aspect we get a lot of our social media stuff from ego from tiktok due to the ability to save off there um so I, I do a lot of my kind of research or looking for videos through there but uh twitter uh there's actually a really big creator photography videography community on there and they are all there because they want to basically support each other so i've started posting on there and i've uh, I wouldn't say I've made friends or anything on it. I haven't really been on it a whole lot, but I've definitely noticed that like 
a lot of people are really posting and trying to um, make a name for themselves in that space. And I'm even seeing really big creators that I follow jumping on there, you know, starting from scratch. So I think Twitter is a really good one because one, it doesn't matter who you are, you can become viral. Same like TikTok, you know, you put out a, you can put out a tweet for whatever reason people find interesting, funny. Um, and next thing you know, it can go viral. One person likes it and it shows up on everyone else's pages. And then two, um, this community aspect of which I've managed to find, you know, the people are supporting each other and, and really trying to push it. So um, I think people enjoy the, the freedom that is associated with the likes of these TikToks and Twitters um, that anything like you can end up seeing anything cool. Like that's how Instagram became big. First of all, is that someone posts something really cool and then they were, um like rewarded i suppose it might be the word with um good engagement and likes and follows and whatever it may be and they were able to grow organically because they were creating really cool interesting things now it's a case of are you paying for ads or whatever maybe people come up with all sorts of things so um clubhouse is kind of interesting as well I don't, very interesting I actually dabbled, yeah very yeah i haven't dabbled it too much in it but again you know, there's another place where people, if you've got something cool to say and do and talk about and you've got an interest in a certain area, next thing you know, you, you, people are listening to you and, and want to hear more about what you say and you meet cool people who are doing the same thing. So I think place community, I guess, is the basis of this kind of thing. It's like you can get a community and people that are uh, interested in the same things as you and, and then you, you help each other grow. So I don't know what that looks like going forward, but I definitely think that's what people love is the community aspect of, of social media. Yeah. Something I didn't ask. Um, sorry, no, but this would nearly there because I, I know you're up in the morning. Um, yeah. Budgie smugglers, how? <laughs> I have to ask you, like, you know, like, You have to ask, and I love it. That's a great question. Again, uh, all these all these questions are fantastic, but they all end up tying into each other somehow, one way or another. Um, travel, 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 travel is the core of here. <laughs> well, when I went to Australia for um, study abroad, my first real uh, my first real introduction to budget smuggler was there. No one wore them back home, obviously, and they were kind of picking up speed down in Australia. So I said, "Look, I'll buy a pair for my trip." End up doing some few posts. Next thing you know. I, you know, I have two or three pairs. Then when I get back to Ireland, I'm like, oh, sevens. Like, yeah, we've got to get pairs for the team because when I was in Australia, our team had pairs. And, you know, that's what we got to do. So we got them. And then one of the tournaments was Paris sevens. Budgie Smuggler actually had a, like a tent set up at the game. So met the guys that were there. They were working. Um, ended up having a good few beers with them after the game became good mates, stayed in touch. Then budgie smuggler, um, they had an office in London at the time. That's why they went over to Paris. They just drove over. So then it turned out that they, the team ended up coming over to Dublin. I think Ireland were playing Australia. So they came over for that game, hang out, hung out with them more, a few more beers, had a great time. And then one thing led to another. And probably in the last eight months, a good friend of mine, Jimmy, who works and heads the London office, contacted me, asked me if I would like to do a collaboration with them, come out with my own custom pair. The idea was that I would do it and then, you know, 
do like one round of however many pairs and that would kind of be it. But then once they they sold those ones, they were like, actually, you know what? People really like them and they like the design and stuff. So we're going to keep them on. So I think I'm on my third restock now, which is brilliant. Um, but at the, you know, it's fun. I really enjoy the guys. We, we get on, we have the same, uh, the same sort of mentality. We just want to have fun and have a bit of crack and they're trying to crack into the U S actually. So we're, we're chatting at the moment to try and see how we can make that feasible and get, get budgies into, into the U S and, and start becoming popular. So yeah, well, uh, we'll see how that goes anyway, but yeah, that's the, that's how it all came about. It's, it's, it's funny. What would your morning routine be, um, Harry? Because I know you, you do a lot of traveling. So what would be normally your, your normal routine? Honestly, I'm a bit of a slob. I'm not like the not slob, but like I'm not like an OCD about my you know routines and all this kind of stuff. But say on like a normal travel, or not travel, sorry, a normal day, like uh, say tomorrow uh, for the tournament or how I'd go during the week, I usually... If I have to leave the house at half eight, like I, ha- I usually get up at half seven. It takes me the, it takes me the hour to. Well, I don't know what I'm doing half the time, but for whatever reason, <laughs> it takes an hour. It's definitely not half an hour. I've tried half an hour, and you know, I definitely leave late. So, I usually wake up an hour before I have to leave the house. Um, I would just get up. I the the night before, I always um try and lay out all the gear that I need. And I wear, I wear my full kit to train them. So, and the reason I do that is so that I know I haven't forgotten anything because <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared to forget it. So in the morning, I'll stick on my rugby shorts, undershorts, socks, uh, GPS vest, jersey or whatever. And then the rest of the stuff I'll put in the bag. So I wear everything going training. Um, I rock up fully kitted out. And then... Um, I would have, I have a smoothie kind of every morning. Um, one reason being I don't like eggs, so I don't make eggs any ever. So I was like, what else can I do? So it's oats, it's uh, protein powder, peanut butter, yogurt, bit of honey. And then depending on what like kind of fruit or frozen, frozen fruit that I have, I'll make that every morning. Um, and then get in the car and, stick on a bit of music and, and make my way out. I'm pretty low key when it comes to all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but it seems to, seems to have worked so far. Yeah. <laughs> this, this gets a lot of people on the hop. Um, two non-negotiables for you. Two non-negotiables. On a daily basis. Yeah. Jesus. That's a good one. Um, and we had to finish it on a, on a, yeah, a yeah, yeah. that's definitely a hard one. Um, a non-negotiable, like in, I guess in training, non-negotiable is just, uh, like work hard. Like, yeah, I want to, like, I don't want to come home thinking like, you know, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? So, um, yeah, for me, it'd be that like two of them, I guess brush my teeth every morning. <laughs> yeah. The, I've, I've gotten that answer. And it's like, I could call my parents or something. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fair enough. Um, what do I try and do every single day? You're I speechless. Would... I actually can't believe it. Honestly, <laughs> I know. I'm really bad at questions like this. If you ask me my favorite food, if you ask me my favorite <laughs> music, I'd be really, really, really 
I'd find it very difficult to answer all that kind of thing. Uh, my brain just doesn't work in that regard for whatever reason. I find, I'm like, what's your favorite movie? I'm like, what's a movie? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Never watched a movie. I don't know. Um, like, would you stretch or something every day? Like, like would you? No. <laughs> I, I, I have been because I'm getting older, but I, I wouldn't previously. Um, I mean, my mum rings me every single day. That's probably a non-negotiable yeah. for her. She rings me every day. I don't know if I'm ringing her every day. I, um, oh, here we go. Non-negotiable. I've got one for you. I put on left first every time. So left sock first then right, then left shoe, right. Every time, flip-flop, boot, rugby boot, always left. That's a non-negotiable. Why? That's uh, absolutely nuts. I've never heard that before, no. Yeah, yeah. Um, that comes all the way back to my days in, in, in New York. When I played ice hockey, our coach said that it was good luck to do left first, then right, then left, then right. And like, I literally cannot put on a normal pair of shoes leaving the house without it being left first. Right. <laughs> Even if you know when you kind of catch the heel of the shoe and it gets caught under, it gets caught under your heel. Yeah. Like I'll have to undo that first and then I can get into my left one and then I get into my right one. Jeez. That is an absolute non-negotiable. There you go. <laughs> I've got one out. And you know what? I, I probably would never have thought of that for whatever reason. I was, I just felt my sock there. I was like, Oh, do you know what? I put on my sock. <laughs> left first um yeah so i would always 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 do that and then um brush your teeth of course would be definitely brush my teeth of course i brush my teeth every <laughs> yeah every day i brush my teeth um uh, i found a good one for you though like uh That's this could just drag on and drag on but i do want a good one for you um oh like I guess in training, I, I'd be the same as well. I, I said I'm not OCD, but I always put on like the the um, same strapping. So like I strap my thumbs, let's say. So I'll always, I guess I could do my left as well, but I always do the, I do my thumb and then I'll always do my other thumb and I always wear like the same guards on those ones kind of thing. So I guess oh, yeah. I train pretty much every day. I have to, I just do it the same way. I don't know. I guess it's just routine. It feels comfortable or whatever. So, yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> sorry, not great answers, but sorry, not great answers. No, they're but, good. Uh, they're, yeah. I, 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 that's the, digest those answers. Like, it's just the <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Look, yeah, on, 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 on the hop. <laughs> yeah, literally, literally. Um, I look, I'll, I'll wrap it up there because look, it, it, it went on a good bit. But look, best look um, going forward when this podcast will go out, obviously the challenge games as such that are on tomorrow will be done. Um, but it, it should be out before the trip to Monaco. All right? Great. Yeah, Monaco, that's yeah. right. Perfect. So look, thanks very much for coming on Inside View Podcast. We really appreciate it. And best look with everything going forward. Thank you so much. I really appreciate having me on. I had an absolute blast. Great to chat. Caught me on the hop at the end. <laughs> it was all going so well before the end. But no, I really enjoyed it and, and really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to doing it real life in a pub somewhere. We'll have a pint and uh, we'll enjoy it. Thank you. I hope you all enjoyed the interview with Harry. And we'd like this opportunity to thank Harry for coming on an Inside View podcast and we're looking forward to catching up in the in the future and do this do it face to face that is all from us on this week's podcast please do get in contact with the show if you'd like to be part of it in any way possible 
Um, don't forget to rate, review, and tell your friends, family about an Inside View podcast. We really appreciate it. And please do follow us on our social media platforms. You'll find us over on Instagram at underscore on the ball team building. Over on Facebook, it's on the ball team building. Over on Twitter, it's at we are on the ball two. There's a digit two. You'll find us on LinkedIn on the ball team building, and you'll find us also on TikTok on the ball team building. You can also email us info on the ball team building.com. That is all from us on this week's podcast. Be sure to tune in again next week. We have another exciting guest. Till then, stay safe and remember, cred on a fan. Talk to you all soon and thank you all for listening.